Well, like most of you, I have mixed feelings about social media. Connecting with friends near and far is great, but this tendency we have to put up a facade is problematic, isn't it? The highlight reel we often post simply isn't the full picture. Social media betrays a longing within every human heart, and that is a longing for authenticity. To present yourself as you are, warts and all, and it'll be okay. Social media betrays the longing for authenticity, the freedom to put down the facade and present yourself as you are. For none of us have it all together. None of our lives are highlight reels. We all know failure and shame and disappointment and difficulty, don't we? These are the very things that are often absent on our social media platforms. What I love about God's design for local churches is that local churches are messy communities of grace. They are places where you come, warts and all. That's how God designed it. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up by your own performance, by your own efforts, by your own achievements. No, you come as you are. And there, in the gathering, in the body, he works his grace in and through our lives. It's the beauty the design of the local church. He's not surprised by our failure, our shame, and our sin. In fact, he assumes it and has provided a way to work with it through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So we come as imperfect people, locking arms and looking unto a perfect savior, a perfect redeemer. So if you're here today, and you're imperfect in the right place. That's all of us. That's all of us. Locking arms, looking unto a perfect Savior. So God welcomes our mess and works through our mess, warts and all, by his grace, through an encounter with a Savior who makes us beautiful by his grace. This morning, I want to look at a warts and all passage in the Bible a place where we see the mess on display, but also God's grace on display as well, bringing about unity, pulling people together in the midst of the tension to go apart. God at work, sustaining his church by his grace. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 in the Bibles we provided on your seats, you can find Acts 15 on page 924, page 924. We're con continuing a series in the book of Acts that we began in September and we'll carry it through one full year. We'll be done at the end of August. Uh, that series is called Church on Mission, Church on Mission. And this morning I'm going to read chapter 15, verses 22 through 41. Luke, the author, writes, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, 
leading men from among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were with them, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the goal of this sermon is to showcase how God sustains his church through times of great tension. God sustains his church through times of great tension. It's the running theme throughout this passage, and it is good news for us, deeply embedded in the life of a local church, because tensions have arisen and tensions will arise going forward. And God, by his grace, sustains Christians together through great tension. It's a raw picture of the life in and between local churches. We see in this passage, Acts 15, 22 through 41. A raw picture of life in a local church. You see, Paul and Barnabas divide and depart there's a sharp disagreement. This is no small Christian tiff. There's an issue. They're in the same local church in Antioch. So we see God's grace sustaining, working in the midst of a local church, but also between local churches, because this is a picture of the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church coming together, discerning this issue of should Gentiles first have to become Jews in order to become Christians, right? So you see God working in a local church, but also partnership between local churches is what we see here in this passage. So I'd like to unpack this passage in three parts. Three parts. 
First, we see unity sustained through wisdom. Unity sustained through wisdom, followed by Christians strengthened by the word. Christians strengthened by the word. And then thirdly and finally, we'll explore partners who separate in the work. Partners who separate in the work. Let's take a look at the first part. Unity sustained through, the wor- through wisdom. Unity sustained through wisdom. Now, in order to understand what's going on in the latter part of chapter 15, we have to understand what happened in the first part. So if you weren't with us last week, by way of review, here's what happened. There are some men who are Christians with a Jewish background who come down from the church in Jerusalem and they enter Antioch, which was predominantly a Gentile church, people of Gentile background. And these men from Jerusalem say it is necessary that Gentiles become Jews, that is, become circumcised first before they become Christians. And Paul and Barnabas go to the mat because this is a gospel issue. Paul and Barnabas then, after grappling with these false teachers from the church in Jerusalem, go to the church in Jerusalem, and there they have a council, and they seek the Lord. They seek unity empowered by the Holy Spirit and how to resolve this issue. And they determine that it is by grace that people are saved. It's not by works. It's not a gospel plus salvation. It is a gospel grace alone salvation. That's the the determination that they make at the Jerusalem Council. And then they draft a letter and send it up to the church in Antioch. And that's what we see here in the passage that I just read. The determination has been made. They draft the letter and they send it with Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas. So they send a delegation up to encourage these Christians in Antioch who were troubled, who were unsettled. Are we Christians or not? Do we have to do something like circumcision and like obedience to the Mosaic law in order to be in the community? Friends, there's a danger in gospel plus theology. I mentioned it last week. We need to mention it every week because we as fallen human beings always are trying to add unto the salvation that is by grace alone through faith alone. We are achievers, earners at heart, and we want to look back and say, look how I contributed to what God did. And Peter's word in Acts 15 verse 11 is that we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a salvation by grace alone. We contribute nothing but our sin. God saves us by his grace. So I ask you, what confidence do you have when you stand before God one day that he will will accept you? What confidence do you have? What are you basing your hope in? If it's anything to do with your tally sheet of good works, you will always come up short. You will always come up short. There's not enough good deeds that you could ever do to get in his right standing. Only by receiving God's gift of grace in Christ, believing you can't work for it, you can't earn it, you can't achieve it, It is not a gospel plus. It's a gospel alone salvation that we receive by faith that God gives us 
as his grace. So we arrive at the portion in Acts 15 when the letter is sent up to these dear Christians in Antioch who are troubled of mind, unsettled. Luke tells us, It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. So they reach out to them, not just with a letter, but with Christians from the church in Jerusalem, ambassadors, people in the flesh, a delegation to go and deliver the content of the letter. So this is the content. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings to you. Since we've heard that some of our own persons have gone up from us, from among us, and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So notice what this letter is communicating. The church in Jerusalem is taking ownership of those who came out from among them, I think this is helpful in, 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 in tender outreach when there's an issue. They, they kind of own, like, these men came from us. We didn't authorize them. We didn't instruct them to do this. But they do say, hey, they, they came from us. It's kind of like a, a faithful parent and their wayward children. in the midst of behavioral that is problematic, that's, that's my son who did that. I didn't teach him that way, but he, he did. So there's this ownership, but there's also, we didn't teach this. We didn't instruct them. So, so notice how they're, they're taking ownership as if a, an, a tender olive branch to, to work through this division that has happened. They came from us, but we did not teach this. We are not behind this. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how the church in Jerusalem is careful to mention and honor the work of Paul and Barnabas. Why would they do that? Oh, it's strategic. Paul and Barnabas have poured themselves out for the sake of the Gentiles, preaching. Paul got stoned likely died and was resurrected by the brothers who prayed for him in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra, risked their lives, why? For the sake of the gospel, among whom? The Gentiles. So in honoring Paul and Barnabas and their sacrifice, they're actually honoring the fruit of their ministry, that is the Gentiles, the very people who were troubled and felt separated from these Jewish Christians. So notice everything in this letter is just a tender outreach to bring unity. God is sustaining his church through a tense time, through the faithful writing of sensitive men and women in this church. Honor the lives of Paul and Barnabas because it is the fruit of their ministry is how the Gentiles became a part of the church in the first place. They gave their lives for this work. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, they write, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Notice the mention that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Throughout Acts, we see the activity of 
the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could, you could title Acts, not the Acts of the Apostles, as it's known in Christian history, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is driving forward the mission of the church. And it's the Holy Spirit that promotes and maintains unity in the body, and still does. They're saying, we sought the Lord on this important matter that threatened to divide the church. The Holy Spirit gave us clarity and guidance and direction. What we see here is what Paul will later write, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit is active in Christian unity, guiding, empowering, maintaining unity. There is requirement here to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So gone is this requirement to be circumcised, but there are some requirements that the letter contains. We want you to abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Now, what in the world is going on here? Why did they feel the need to include this in the letter? Well, on one hand, this is a guard for Gentiles, many of whom came out of a pagan culture, steeped in idolatry, where you would sacrifice food right at before the temple, and there was a fertility cult there where you would engage in sexual relations with pagan prostitutes right there with the hope that that engagement would allow your crops to be fertile. This tie between the body and their land. So there was all kinds of unrighteous practices. And what this letter is saying here, Gentile Christians need not to become Jews, but neither should they act like typical Gentiles. In other words, don't go back to the old way of life. Walk in newness of life with Christ. So on the one hand, this instruction here is a guard against Gentiles falling back into a life of idolatry. On the other hand, it's a word of pastoral sensitivity to Christians of Jewish background. Because many of those Jewish Christians still obey dietary laws. And so the question is, how do they have fellowship together? We know how much our church likes to eat. We come together as much as we can. It's one of the most painful things about COVID. We couldn't eat together. <laughs> Table fellowship. I read Tim Chester's book, A Meal with Jesus. Notice what Jesus does over the meal table. He ministers, he encourages, he saves, he converts. A meal with Jesus. And the instruction from that book is just go and do likewise. Have meals with people. How do Christians of Gentile background who are used to eating all kinds of things interact and have table fellowship with those of Jewish background? You see, the, the authors who penned this letter and sent it to Antioch knew the sensitive issue of diet. And so they just encourage, for now, Gentiles, don't eat food sacrificed to idols, okay? Because it will be a blockade for you in fellowship with a Jewish Christian. Now, later, Paul's going to relieve these restrictions 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Romans chapter 14, there's Christian liberty here, but there's also a call toward Christian charity, thinking about how I'm engaging in what I'm eating, how might it be, impact another person, right? But these restrictions 
will be alleviated later, but for now, they're included as a word of pastoral sensitivity to promote the unity of the church. So these Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians can actually come together over the table and have meals and association with one another. So that's why these requirements, they're not, hey, you got to do these to be saved. No, no, no. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, but this is a wise practice to maintain the unity and the togetherness of the church, particularly at the table. What we see here is wisdom and tenderness throughout a very tense time. The letter, the way that it's crafted, the way that it's sent in the flesh by two Christians from Jerusalem, they are working hard at Christian unity. They're speaking truth in love. And friends, let, it, let me encourage all of us. We have faced tense time. We will face tense times. Christians are led and occupied by imperfect people who look to a perfect savior, but this side of heaven, we still deal with the imperfection and failure. We will have issues. We will have tension. How do we work through it? Oh, truth and love. Tenderness and conviction. Truth and love. Tenderness and conviction. That's how we work. That's what we see here in this letter. Remembering that our lives as Christians and our unity together is grounded in the sacrifice of Christ. It came at great cost, and therefore it's worthy of our utmost effort to maintain unity. That's why they mention Paul and Barnabas sacrificed their lives, risked their lives for you, and so did Jesus to infinite degree on the cross. Our unity came at great cost. May we work hard and strive together to maintain it and walk in it and fight for it when it is threatened. First, unity sustained through wisdom. Second, Christians strengthened by the word. We see this in verses 30 through 35. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. What was the fruit of the hard work and the tenderness outreaching to these Christians in Antioch? What was the fruit? Joy and unity. Joy and unity are the fruits of this tender outreach to the church in Antioch. We see Judas and Silas, who were with them, came from Jerusalem, went to Antioch. They themselves were prophets. They encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. What do you see repeated in this section, 30 through 35? Notice the primacy of the word, the repetition of the word. So they, they, they took the letter, which was words written down. They took the letter and read it. And those who took it, Judas and Silas, they went there and they encouraged with words on top of the letter, and then Paul and Bar Barnabas are preaching the word. There's this overlaying of word work here in verses 30 through 35. Why? What's Luke telling us? It's the word that strengthens Christians. It's the word that maintains unity. The corporate preaching of it, the corporate reading of it, the study of it in small groups, men's groups, women's groups, the reading of the word by individual Christians. It is the primacy of the word 
read, expounded, studied that strengthens Christians and empowers us to live faithfully in this life. So, how are you being fortified by the word? It's a joy what we have together here. An opportunity once a week to hear God's word preached, to hear it read, to sing God's word together. But we need more than that. Engaged in a discipleship group among men and women. Coming on, on Wednesday nights as Dylan unpacks the book of Exodus. Multiple opportunities to gather and to be reinforced in your life by the word. And then just carving it out. What does it look like for you to carve out some time and to feed your soul with God's word? What current practice do you have of taking in God's word? I don't say that to, to heap a load of guilt. I struggle too. But tomorrow, today is a new day. What will it look like just to open his word, take time, set realistic goals, and read it, study it, take it into your life? It will sustain you and strengthen you in the midst of difficulty, tension, and trial. The fruit of the word, genuine joy among Christians. Unity sustained through wisdom. Christians strengthened by the word. Thirdly and finally, partners separate in the work. This passage ends in a sobering way, doesn't it? I love the honesty, the transparency, the authenticity of the scripture. It's not sugar-coated. These two dear partners, Paul and Barnabas, separate over not a tiff, but a sharp disagreement. That's life in the local church. And if there aren't times like this, chances are we aren't getting deep enough and actually opening up about what's going on. So let's unpack what happens here. This is a challenge, another threat to the unity of, of the local church. Luke tells us, verse 36, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So what Paul is proposing is backtracking the first missionary journey. They had just returned, and he says, let's go back and just follow the course in reverse order and encourage those Christians that we ministered to. That's a great idea. Barnabas is on board with it. But then Barnabas wants to take his friend, in fact, his cousin, as we learn in Colossians chapter 4, John Mark. John, also known as Mark, wrote the gospel of Mark. John was brought from the church in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 12, brought up to Antioch, and he initially traveled with Paul, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And then, for some unknown reason, he departs from them in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. He goes back to Jerusalem, leaving Paul and Barnabas in Pamphylia. We don't know why. Evidently, Paul was upset and didn't think his departure was legitimate. We don't know any more details than that, than the displeasure that Paul has here. So Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. In other words, Paul wants somebody reliable, not somebody who's going to depart from them. And there arose a sharp disagreement. The word is intense 
It's not just a, a tiff, it's, it's intense, a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The desire here is good. Paul and Barnabas want to go back and follow up. They've planted these seeds and the seeds have germinated. Now they want to go back and water the seeds, cultivate the soil more to see to the health of these growing churches. It's a good and godly desire. The question is who should go? And on that question, Paul and Barnabas see very differently. Barnabas says, John Mark. Paul says, no. What do you do? What do you do? They can't reach a resolution, so they separate. Which on paper before us is unfortunate, right? But what I want to encourage you to do is just sort of step back and see the sovereignty of God in the midst of the separation. Because in his infinite wisdom and his divine sovereignty, through the separation, he actually doubles their labor. So that now... Paul and Silas go throughout Cilicia and onward on their second missionary journey. And Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to Cyprus. So they're now, they have two teams. Now, I have a friend who tells the story of his church plant, but was actually a church split that led to more gospel work. So we need to be careful not to sort of excuse division for the sake of multiplication. We need to work hard at unity, to do our very best at rectifying issues. But when they go unresolved, lean into and trust the sovereignty of God who is good even in the midst of man's failures. And he's accomplishing work through it. He actually doubles the work because now there's two teams. So it's not necessarily, it's not an excuse for Christian division. Rather, it's showcasing God's grace in the midst of division. When it happens, he's active, and he takes the gospel through both of these men who have now separated. The question is, what, what happens, though? How, how is it resolved? Because we need to pray for resolution. We need to pray for reconciliation, and we see glimpses of it later on in the Bible as we read Paul's letter his last words, 2 Timothy. Notice what Paul is careful to include in his instructions at the end of his very last letter that we have. Timothy, get Mark, get John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And I wish I was a fly on the wall to see all that had happened to bring John Mark back into good graces with Paul. We don't know the details. All we see is this resolution because on in Paul's last letter, he is requesting that John Mark get brought to him to his prison cell because he's useful to him in ministry. What, what had happened? Friends, reconciliation by the power of the gospel happened. And we need to hold Acts 15 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 together to kind of paint the full picture. There was unresolved tension, and we should feel that in this passage. But it's also okay to lean forward and say, was it resolved? Yes. 
How was it resolved? By that same grace that saved these men in the first place. God's grace saves and sustains us no matter what. God's grace, rest assured, has power to resolve conflict. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your own life? Perhaps in in a marriage that is on the rocks here this morning. Or between parent and child. Or between coworkers or neighbors. Where do you see relational strife? And in your heart of hearts, do you believe that the power of the gospel is sufficient to heal and to reconcile? It likely won't happen overnight. Like Paul and John Mark was not overnight. But God's grace is sufficient to sustain Christian relationships, to bring them back together. Would you look to Christ, call out to him, who provides us every resource to maintain health and relationship, to restore broken relationship. That's the crux of the gospel. The gospel has a vertical dimension through the grace of Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God on the vertical and a horizontal direction. We are reconciled to one another by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You always remember it based on the shape of the cross. Vertical reconciliation, horizontal reconciliation. Reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another. Praise God that we see a picture of that at the end of Paul's life, his last letter. Get John Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. It had been resolved by God's grace. God sustains his church through times of great tension. God saves and sustains through supernatural means. I'm reading Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, with my discipleship group here at Beacon. It's been a wonderful time. Uh, This morning, I read this. It is not who we are, but who Christ is that makes a difference in our lives and in our churches. It's not who we are, but who Christ is who makes the difference in our lives. In any of every tension and trial, may we look to Christ and lock arms together, who both saves and sustains us for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace to us, most gloriously displayed through the sacrificial gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you, praise you for his perfect life, for his atoning death and his triumphant resurrection from the grave. It makes all the difference. No matter what we've done, no matter our shame and failure and sin, by faith in Christ, we are redeemed and restored and sustained in our lives together as Christians in local churches. God, help us to lock arms together, to look wholeheartedly unto you, no matter our trial, no matter the tension. Thank you that your power is made available to us through the gospel. Lord, maybe cling to it and spur each other on towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.